Thank you for listening to Ivy Podcast, where we feature weekly leadership conversations with thought leaders and industry experts. Now, here is your host, John Karsibayev. Hi, I'm Tracy Karens. I am an EVP Group CIO of Enterprise Functions Technology at Wells Fargo. Tracy, thanks so much for finding time and joining us on the Ivy Podcast on uh, on this Friday afternoon. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about your background, maybe kind of career timeline overview? That would be great to hear. Sure. Um, hopefully, uh, hopefully as exciting as it has felt uh, to me through the years. But I actually started off. I have an engineering degree from University of Michigan came from a long line of engineers, my dad, grandfather, et cetera. So I was encouraged early on um, to get interested in coding and technology overall um, and kind of carried the torch forward um, with some family history there. Uh, And coming out, I got a degree in industrial and operations engineering, and I was very lucky out of college um, to work. I went to PricewaterhouseCoopers and, you know, Big Five Consulting was big at the time, Um, but I was very lucky because I got to actually code. Um, for many years, probably the first seven or eight years of my career. Uh, At the time, we were doing a lot of custom um, application development at a variety of uh, companies. I started off working in the utilities industry, so I was doing a lot of app development um, for gas and electric companies, which at the time, you know, I didn't really appreciate how how exciting that can be and really the potential for change. Uh, So what I was learning was not just coding and different technologies. I mean, I started off in Power Builder and did Cold Fusion and Siebel, but it was really learning to take um, kind of legacy outdated business processes and use technology to really transform those and thereby the business. And that's been something that really excited me early on that I've carried through my career and is now a really critical part of my job day to day as well. Well, that's super exciting. And it seems like a very diverse background. And it's also, I want to dive a little bit deeper into kind of the transition from the consultancy and then going into more of a corporate world, so to say, and then moving up the ranks from that perspective. Uh, But before we do that, can you share a little bit more around your current role, what falls under your purview and area of responsibility? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm the CIO for Enterprise Functions. And what that entails, it's really all the technology that Uh, runs the company, runs Wells Fargo for our employees. So that's HR, finance, risk, um, marketing, legal audit data for the company. Um, You know, that includes all your payroll benefits, everything, you know, that really runs the company for our employees day to day. So often uh, underappreciated in a way, because when it works, it seems like, you know, just very baseline things that we should have. Um, But if it doesn't work, obviously, people get very upset. Um, But for me, that's the exciting part, right? Like high risk, high reward, you know, being able to really, um, you know, kind of think strategically. Uh, And to the the point around what else am I responsible for? So in addition to that technology, I align to the corresponding um, business leaders for each of those spaces. And at Wells Fargo, it's a really exciting time right now because across each of those business verticals being like HR, risk, finance, we are in the middle of doing an end-to-end business and technology transformation. So to my earlier point, we have the opportunity right now working with our business partners and saying, how can we do this better? So technology is an enabler. Obviously we bring a lot of technology ideas to the table, but it's also really about how do we streamline and simplify the business process and then use technology to really amplify that. 
And I get to do that in a lot of different areas right now in my role. So I'm having a really good time, as you can imagine. If you're kind of an adrenaline junkie, this is the place to be, which for me, you know, is very well suited. Wow, that's super exciting. It seems like, you know, you're wearing a lot of different hats uh, yep. and overseeing a lot of different, you know, spectrums of such a large organization, which leads me to a further point that I want to discuss with you is around building and fostering a culture of innovation within the organization. Uh, but first things first, in terms of some of the trends and ideas that really excite you these days, whether, you know, from transformation initiative perspectives that you're leading or from personal standpoint, something that you're researching on your own, share with us any insights or ideas that are super exciting to you. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, there's a lot going on in the world. I mean, we all know this, right? So obviously artificial intelligence to me, I, I hesitate to even say it's a trend because I feel like we are full blown into it. But what excites me is I think we've just barely begun to tap into its full potential. And so I, you know, am a big proponent of AI and usage of AI, but also in watching um, where and how it can be used and, and also the concept of using it responsibly, right? Like, you know, the logic built in there and ensuring there's no bias, et cetera, is, is very top of mind. Um, I, I'm fascinated with autonomous driving. I think that could really change the way we interact um, as humans in the world. Like I think about, you know, financial services, if I can better like, or change my commute time day to day, what will I do with that time? You know, I'm watching the road, but I don't have to, could I bank? Could I, could I buy, you know, as a busy working mom, I'm always looking for every minute in the day and how to free that up. Um, and financial services, along with all the other things I do in my life are part of that. So I look at how will that change the way people, you know, just get around um, and use their time. Uh, and then I also have been just captivated this past year, as I'm sure many with biotech. Uh, I know very little about it. I researched some of the vaccines and the technology and the way the, the world really came together. Um, and I'm fascinated by that. I think we've made tremendous progress probably in the last year, um, kind of working together uh, across the entire world, as I mentioned. So I'm watching that just with interest, personal interest. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Wow. That's super exciting. And, you know, mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more with you, especially interesting aspect on the self-driving technologies. You know, I recently spent time talking to an executive who they're actually building LIDAR technologies that, you know, that, that are building the algorithms and, and essentially software that takes into account a lot of the human behavior uh, when making decisions. So which is very interesting and very fascinating. At the same time, it seems so futuristic, yet very close to where we are these days. Yeah, exactly. Um, I have a very loaded question, uh, but I want to want to get your perspective on just the overall strategy around building and fostering a culture of innovation within your organization or on your teams or within your verticals. What are some of the things, you know, in terms of practical strategies or recommendations that really help you do that on a continuous basis? Or maybe some things where you have failed and learned something from that particular experience Share with us anything that uh, that really helps you do that. Yeah, I mean, I certainly haven't cracked the nut on this. I don't think anyone really has, but I'm less of a fan of having, you know, huge dedicated innovation, you know, teams. I, in, in my, you know, our business, my world, what um, usually becomes the best innovation ideas are leveraging current technologies or even cutting bleeding ed edge technologies, but with existing technology to create new 
business processes, right? Enhancements to customer and client experience in different ways. So that's what I focus most on. Um, and to do that, I mean, obviously I need to keep a close eye on, you know, all innovative technologies out there. We all do as technologists. So I, I don't mean to diminish that in the way, but it's more to me about watching those and then looking at how they could be used in different ways or, you know, in alignment with our business and always with customer and client in mind. So to do that, I, I think you just have to have a culture where people are free to bring ideas, even if they're completely out of the box. Um, this is where I go to diversity of teams. Everybody's experience in their day-to-day -day life and world, right, should bring ideas into, you know, into your workspace where they say, you know, I saw this or what about this and being free to bring those ideas and then free to try them. So what I do, if, if it's good, I'm like, hey, that sounds cool. Why don't you go and mess around with that, pilot it, come back, right? Fails, that's okay. But like we took a look, right? If it looks like it has legs, then let's go and start talking to more people about it, right? Like pull, you know, business partners in, start to, you know, then the ideas really start to build, right? But you want to, you know, poke around at them a little bit and give them the room and space to do that. Um, they don't often have the time to do it, but I find people are really passionate about their ideas. So they, they bring something to the table and they're very willing to do that on the side or at night because it's something they're really excited about. And if someone's really excited about it, then that's usually the best way to get momentum. I love those examples. And I hear that a lot from, you know, other organizations trying to do that. Yeah, we're all about ideas. But at the end of the day, everyone's full of ideas. But when it comes to actual execution, it's a completely different story. And I yeah. love the analogy that you were making in terms of, yes, it's a personal passion of yours that you are, in fact, bringing that idea, to, you know, to me. And for you to be able to recognize that, that energy, that passion, and give them the autonomy to run with that, run an experiment, because at the end of the day, it's not really a failure, it's an experiment. It's yeah. for us to learn something from that and see if we, if it has the legs to take this further. So those are great examples. There's one book that really comes to mind. I always recommend it to everyone. It's, it's a book by a former uh, Harvard professor of mine. He wrote two books on experimentation matters and experimentation works. And covers a lot of the examples like that, which is specific to what exactly you're talking about. So thank you for that for that example. Um, on the other spectrum of kind of the innovation and just building, looking into that future of work, I spend a lot of time talking to other executives in different organizations. And one question that's very, or topic that's very prevalent these days is, how are you designing your organization or your teams and how are you preparing for that next period as coming out through, you know, pandemic and the hybrid workplace? Share with us any thoughts that you may have, what's to come, how are you preparing or some of the things that may be working for you when it comes to that future of work? Yeah, well, I mean, when it comes to, you know, we're heavily remote right now as most companies still are. When we look post-pandemic, um, you know, Wells Fargo has come out and said, we're going to start bringing people back September timeframe after Labor Day. We do still feel there's value in people being able to collaborate and interact um, personally in the office. And so we're, you know, we're looking to do that, still trying to decide what that kind of new normal or normal operating mode will look like. Um, but we, you know, we are going to go back to the office later in the fall and still drive that in-person collaboration, but with flexibility. Uh, we're trying to determine what that flexibility looks like and means. Um, but I think for technology, I mean, in many companies, we've proved that we can work very effectively, many of us remotely. Uh, and so we're not taking that 
for granted, right? We're building that into what flexible look like, what flexible looks like, and what it looks like um, for technologists too, like me or my team, et cetera. Um, I do want to touch on, so that is super top of mind, but always thinking about, you know, in my role, I think about future, future of work, right? And that's where I'm always looking at um, what does that look like, um, how we collaborate. So it's similar themes to what we're talking about, but I look a lot at my, I have three daughters and two of them are, you know, I have twin 14 year olds and an 11 year old, and I am constantly watching them and how they communicate with each other, with their peers, how they get information. Um, and to me, that's what, that's what I'm always keeping on top of when I think of future of work, right? You were talking about innovation late um, earlier, we were, but um, that's really, you know, I have to look, I think we all have to look five, 10 years down the road when, you know, my daughters are entering the workplace and what will they expect? What will they, what will they need? How do we build technology organizations and teams that support, well, first that are a tech destination they want to work in. Um, and what do we need to enable um, to be desirable for them? Like, what do we have to have available? And just the way they, they don't talk to each other, right? They, they text, they, you know, they look for videos and input of information and how to so differently. Um, that's what I'm always thinking about with future of work. I guess to me, it's future, future of work uh, and whatever that means, you know, 10 years down the line. Right, right, right absolutely. And, and I, I love, you know, leveraging, I guess, the resources that you have at your disposal, you know, immediately uh, mm -hmm. and taking into account how, you know, like you, the example you've made on your daughters, how they interact, how they consume information. I think that's super important to get some insights on how that, future of work will actually look like. So that's, you know, we can probably spend entire episode talking about this. Um, so when, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an executive within your organization, being in charge of technology division, I'm pretty sure that surrounding yourself with the top talent, A players is at the top of your mind 24 seven, whether you are actively recruiting or not. Uh, share with us, few strategies that really work for you to accomplish that. And more specifically, candidates that interview with you, they probably go through multiple rounds of assessments, other interviews, panel interviews, and so forth. When they get to Tracy, uh, as much as that you can share with us, what does the interview with you look like? And more importantly, what do you look for in some of the responses when you talk to prospective candidates? Yeah, well, hopefully it's a positive experience, right? Uh, you know, out of the gate, hopefully uh, by the time they get to me, right? You know, to use those uh, to use those words, hopefully they come out, um, you know, feeling like it, you know, is a good use of their time, and they learn something just like me. Um, but honestly, I start with um, I like I ask people to tell me a little bit about themselves. Talk to me about your background. Give me some highlights quickly. Um, what I'm looking for is their ability to. Um, you know, give information, but at the right level, kind of summarize important points. I'm also looking for how they describe themselves, their team, the role they played in things. Are they a team player? Is there a lot of eyes? Like I'm looking for the role they played, um, but just very casually, like letting them, you know, kind of speak and tell their story. Um, but out of that, I look for those nuggets. Um, and then, I mean, the hardest part about interviewing, what I'm really looking for is how can I determine if this person is really good at execution strategy and innovation. Everyone says they are, and their resumes are going to tell me they are, but how do I really determine that before they're on the team, right? And so listening to them, I take the nuggets and then I dive a little deeper, see what level of detail they have. Um, and out of that, what I'm really trying to learn is I'm looking for good decision-making. If I'm being honest, like we're, none of us are ever going to make the right decision all the time, 
But what is so important to me, because that's when I can really say this person has it and I trust what they're going to do is because they have good decision making. You know, are they using data facts? How are they bringing in past experience and failures um, to change their decision making process on the go forward? Um, if they had to do it again, would they make the same decision and why? Those are the nuggets I'm looking for, because that to me is the most critical thing, you know, in a leader and getting someone in on the team. Mm-hmm. Although I, we're pre- I appreciate the insight. I appreciate the intel uh, sharing a little bit more about that. And I love that you stressed the importance of decision-making process versus the actual decision that's being made. What is What are some of the things that they go through? How do they arrive at a particular decision? I think that's very unique. I think that's very interesting insight into be able to understand a particular personality or a person through that very short conversation. So I think mm-hmm. that's, that's very interesting. Thanks for sharing mm-hmm. that. Well, and um, I've been in, um, sorry, I've been in difficult, you know, kind of triage type situations or the post-mortem and, and have even gone through that myself and said, look, here's why I made the decision I made. And if I'm being honest, I would make it again, because based on what I knew at the time, it was the right decision. Now, yeah. now what I know, here's what we'll do about it. Right. I just think that's so critical. <laughs> right. Absolutely. No, I love that example because at the end mm-hmm. of the day, how you made that decision, probably more important than the actual decision in itself. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a great example. Um, when we talk about various strategies to attract the top talent and not only attract, but then retain it to, mm-hmm. on, to your teams, to your organization, what are some of the things that really help you achieve that? Or maybe something that hasn't worked and you learn from that. Mm-hmm. I find that um, top talent, they want to work on teams where they're challenged. They get to learn. Um, they get to work. They want to be on a high performing team. Right. And they want to have a voice be respected and appreciated. Right. It's kind of a, a simple it sounds like a simple formula, but it's hard you know, to get there. But creating that high performing team is is most critical. I, I want top talent to want to be on our team, to want to be part of it. Um, and to get that for me culturally on the team, it's about, um, you know, being candid, transparent, being open to ideas, listening to the team. Um, and that means even creating a culture where like my leaders a lot tell me I'm wrong. Right. And I try to infuse humor to let them know that that's okay. Right. You know, they'll, I'll listen. I'll go. So what you're saying is that I was completely wrong about this. Right. And that you've you know done this work and this is the way we should go. And, you know, we all kind of laugh, but that's right. And that's good. None of us know the answers and people, if you're afraid if people are afraid to challenge, you know, the lead or to ask different, you know, ask questions and challenge the thinking, um, you'll never have that high performing team. Uh, and I think that behavior also drives the respect and the voice that they want. Um, and with those behaviors, you're going to have hopefully good outcome. You'll be, you'll deliver. Right. And that's all of those together is what creates that high performing team. And to me, those, that's how you retain talent. People want to work on teams that win and are doing great things, right? And so to me, that's a big part of retention. Um, In attracting, same, right? Like the best part is to have people come to you, right? Like want to be on your team. Um, But in addition, if if they're not, right, interviewing, as we mentioned, they should hear that and see that in your voice and in your examples and in talking to other people on the team. Um, The passion that they have for the work and how they feel about working there as well. To me, that's the way you that's the way you attract. It should come from you and from your team. There's obvious strategies at scale, right? When we come and represent the company and things we do. But in the end, it, it boils down 
you know, to the one-on-one interview discussions and they need to see, feel, and hear that from you. And if it's not authentic, top talent candidates see right through that. So you really have to start at yourself and your team and how they're acting and working together. Just recently, I was talking to an executive at Fortune Fortune 10 company, very huge organization. And I asked him, um, why, you know, why are you participating in a lot of webinars, live events, podcasts, uh, things like that. And one of the things that he mentioned to me was, you know, it's, it really resonated. It's, it's essentially his, his ability or his opportunity, that opportunity to really share almost his leadership style or give a glimpse into the type of culture within the team, within the organization, what are the things they value? And he mentioned that there's, so many pros- prospective candidates that actually listen to the, you know, these types of talks, and then they bring that to the interview as part of that homework that they have done, uh, which also then gives him a really great indicator of how much they are interested. So I can definitely relate to a lot of the examples that you're talking about, and also the fact that you also appearing, you know, with us as an example to be able mm-hmm. to share some of some of those strategies. I think that's that's very unique. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, you don't see that a lot, especially at the, ex- at the executive mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. I, I've had similar experiences. People stop me for things I wouldn't even have thought about where they say, we saw this on LinkedIn or you posted this video. And the, the reason they get, like what I'm most interested in is when they tell me why they liked it so much. It's, yeah. in, it, that's where you get the real insights. And I've heard them say, it looks like you and, you know, you're the leadership team, my peers, like you really like each other, you get along. And I'm like, we do, right? And so little insights like that are, you start to realize how important that, you know, communicating how, you know, social can, you know, social media can be, but also just the importance, like, you know, of those, those relationships and how you work and how you show as a team. Um, And it has to be real and authentic, right? And they see that. And then to my point around, they want to come to you, they want to be part of that team too. Right. Absolutely. You can't fake that. No. Mm-mm. Another important topic I want to touch upon is um, around female leadership, female executive leadership, especially in tech. Uh, it's and I, as much as I don't like that label, it's you know it does exist. And you know I have a daughter and I have a sister, I have a mother and so forth. My mm-hmm. wife, we talk about that a lot of times. And I know it's very loaded question and it's very high level, but from a standpoint of and the reason I'm asking is a good deal of our audience are also early stage career professionals, second year MBAs, you know, those are entering workforce. And from your standpoint, if you were to highlight a few things that you wish you knew when you were starting your career out as an advice or a recommendation for early stage career professionals, what would that be? Or what would be some of the things to avoid? Yeah, um, it's a loaded question, but to your point, it's real and it's still I mean, it's, it's something I'm passionate about, women in technology overall. Um, what I would say is no one's going to tell you what to do. No one's going to tell you what to do next. So take the initiative, ask questions, be, um, you know, be, be curious, right? Get out there and take the lead. Um, just say, I want to do this. I'm going to run with it. Show them what, you know, show them what you can do. Um, don't be afraid of change, right? I think everyone gets too nervous about things happening, maybe in a way that they weren't expecting, um, you know, when they think about their own kind of future and next steps, that change can lead to great, great, you know, next steps in your career path that you may not have even thought about before. I mean, there's things where I look at, you know, I started off in the utilities industry, as I mentioned in technology, but ended up in financial services and coming out of college, I don't think I had not even thought about financial services. And I 
enjoy it so much. So embracing that change. And the, the last one to me is um, probably the most important is for the women early in their career, stay on the technical path. Women are very good at some of the less, um, less technical roles like project management and BAs. And, and often you get pulled to do that or asked to because you are good at it. We are, right? But don't, I just don't leave the more technical path. Once you do, it's so much harder to get back. And I, you know, even though it can be challenging at times, I just say stay the course. It will create such a rich career path and rich experiences for you. Just, you know, stay on the technical path. Try not to veer off if you can. Love it. Love it. And I, I appreciate your, your ability to summarize in very high level response like that, which is very powerful. So thank you for that. Okay. And Tracy, last but not least, a few questions I have is around your personal content diet, as I like to call that. So what do you consume on daily basis when it comes to self-actualization or self-learning? What's in your bookmarks or, you know, Twitter profiles that you follow? Share with us, what do you read on daily basis? Uh, well, I, you know, as I mentioned, I don't look at a lot of, um, you know, I try and pull content from the world around me. I should have done some, I should have looked at some Insta, you know, or Twitter things I follow. I didn't even think about that. You probably, they would not be as interesting to you, but I, um, you know, I, I read Wired, I get magazines, I have a, a pile of books next to my bed that I would love to tell you I've read all of them and I haven't. Um, you know, I have some that I try and make time for, but as I mentioned right now, I read mostly about middle school girls and how to deal with that, right, if I'm being candid. Um, but, you know, it's that rounded out um, experience of everything around me. I, I To me, that's like the most, um, that's, that's where we find the disruptors, right? And the influencers is things happening around us um, and just looking for how those, how those translate into things that we might need to be thinking about from a financial services perspective. Um, yeah, so that's really what I do. I'm grabbing, I do use social media a lot. I'm always on Insta and Twitter and I'm looking and listening. And when people say things I don't understand, I you know, go down rabbit holes like everybody else and, you know, try and come out, but it's really more of that less traditional content for me. Yeah. No, that's mm -hmm. awesome. I love that. And mm -hmm. um, is there a book that stands out that's something, you know, a book that you always recommend to others and why is that? I, I, there isn't one. Cause I, 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 like I said, I have too many, I would tell you just right. this week because I I'm a big, I watch and look for them and I buy them. Um, yeah. I should read more. This week, I got a new one um, from a women's technology group um, that we're having um, Peter High come speak to us. He has a new book out called Getting to Nimble, and it's all about digital transformation. So that's the, the one right next to the bed right now that I'm hoping to, to pick up um, this weekend and, and look at. Um, but yeah, again, I'm, I'm, more of a, I'm more of a student of the world around me and trying to you know, bring all of those insights into my day to day. Yeah, no, and that makes sense with everything going on and all the information being thrown at us through different mediums. It only makes sense. Yeah. Tracy, thank you so much for finding time. Talk to us today. Very powerful conversation. I personally learned quite a bit. I'm going to look forward to staying in touch with you and perhaps we can do another episode in, the, in a year or so and see how much have transpired. Great. I'd love that. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Ivy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our RSS feed on ivypodcast.com and all major podcasting platforms like Spotify and iTunes. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a rating on iTunes.